this time all elementary students and um, middle school students can be dismissed to their classrooms. Well, like Kenny said, I am excited that I get to announce and kick off a new sermon series. It only seems fitting with a new year, one that I think is going to hit home with all of us as we dive into it, our new series titled Rest. I would guess for the majority of us, when you maybe heard Kenny or myself say the word rest, maybe your first thought or feeling was this, ah. That sounds nice, rest. Maybe one of these days I'll experience that. Anybody have that thought or kind of feeling? Yeah, some of you shaking your head. Yeah, right? For many of us, rest seems like an unobtainable goal that can only be experienced by people who have a lot of free time, right? And in a society that tells us to do more, to work harder, to be all that we can be, Resting seems pretty countercultural, doesn't it? I would even say that rest in many ways is frowned upon in our lives. When you ask the average person how they're doing, typically the answer is, what? Good, but I'm busy. I'm real busy, right? We say we're busy as if it's some type of badge of honor to wear, something to really be proud of, because in our culture, to be busy means that you're important, you're needed, people need you, they want to be around you. If we're not busy, sometimes we're afraid that people might view us as lazy, we're insignificant, or perhaps we're lacking purpose, right? In America, to rest is to be unproductive, there's just too much to get done. Too much to accomplish, and so we can't rest. Quite a few of us have bought into that lie, and so we're hoping to shatter some of those lies over the next several weeks. I want you guys to hang with me for a few minutes as I make a case for why we need to have a serious conversation about rest. I would say confidently as a whole, Our society is unwilling and, for many of us, unable to prioritize rest. A big reason so many of us struggle with rest is the large amount of us dealing with mental illness. I talk about it a lot. Did you know that 40 million American adults have an anxiety disorder? An actual disorder, not just like people that just struggle with some anxiety. That's 18% of our population. It's even worse for our teenagers. 25% of children ages 13 to 18 have an actual diagnosed anxiety disorder. With anxiety comes a racing mind. With a racing mind comes an inability to sleep. Literally, many of us struggle to even sleep. Add to the fact that Quite a few of us, when we're trying to sleep or laying in bed, we stare at our phones, which only stimulates our brains even more, making it harder to fall asleep. The American Sleep Apnea Association said this. This is pretty fascinating. The odds of being sleep-deprived, which is less than six hours a night for adults, 
has increased significantly over the past 30 years as the lines between work and home have become blurred and digital technology has firmly become part of our lifestyles. National data shows that poor sleep health is a common problem with 25% of U.S. adults reporting insufficient sleep or rest at least 15 out of every 30 days. The National Institutes of Health predicts that America's sleep debt is on the rise and that by the middle of the 21st century, more than 100 million Americans will have difficulty falling asleep. That's really sad, guys. We don't even have time to get in to some of the restlessness that the COVID pandemic has brought or about how Americans are overworked or the frequent bombardment we receive from tragic worldwide news, what seems to be every minute from our devices or how some of us are suffering from PTSD, from past trauma, physical, mental, or verbal abuse that we've endured. These are just a few of the reasons why we have lost the ability to experience and prioritize rest in our daily lives. And maybe you're here sitting, kind of thinking, well, what do we mean by rest? What exactly are we talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you what we're not talking about, okay? The rest that we're not talking about is sleeping in an extra 30 minutes on a Saturday, even though that is awesome, okay? That is great. And that certainly can be restful. We're not talking about binge watching on Netflix, even though that can be cool, I guess. Some people are into that. We're not talking about sipping margaritas on a beach, okay? Rest is not even about avoiding stress. Stress can actually be a good thing when it's used for its intended purposes. Not trusting in God's goodness is what leads us to restlessness, okay? Paul Tripp, famous Christian author, said, real rest is found in trust. Real rest is found in trust. And rest is connected to trust because we cannot rest when we're trying to impress others or when we're trying to control our lives or when we're trying to control the lives of those around us. When we trust that God is good, we will stop trying to grasp for everything, right? To have our hands in whether it's money or we want this situation to work out well. But when we don't trust, that's when we're hustling. We're hustling for our worth. We're trying to control those things around us. When we grow to trust God with our whole being, we can let go of the grip. Dave Hine uses this analogy a lot with money. We can let go of the grip that it has on us in our lives and in the lives of others, and we can simply be. And that being is rest. So here's the definition of rest that I came up with after studying this topic a ton this past fall. It's hilarious to see my name up there as a quote. So New York Times bestsellers on the way. So you guys see it. You're seeing it first, Wellspring. Amen. Oh, my gosh. So I said rest is abiding in the presence of God and growing to trust his goodness. If you want to take a picture of that, you're welcome to. We're going to kind of be working from this definition as a foundation for what we'll be discussing. And you might disagree with my definition, and that's okay. God's grace is sufficient for you too, okay? You can disagree with it. That is fine. I'm just kidding. I've got a question, okay? This is, this, this is interesting. What did you observe 
or learn from your family of origin about rest? What did rest look like for you on the home front? How was it modeled, not modeled? What are some of the things that you learned from just your parents and just your family about rest? Let's not go on long tangents, but just kind of quick nutshell. What did you learn or observe from your family of upbringing about rest? That's a fascinating question. What do you guys think? Yes, Brad. You don't rest. She would what, second it? Okay, you, you do not rest. Okay. So rest is not an option. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like that probably wouldn't be like Okay. Resting is for lazy people. You got to be a go-getter. Get stuff done. Yep. Okay. Rest is for watching football on the weekends. Sure. Brittany. Wow, we're going. I saw a lot of inaction and a lot of unhealthy rest. Okay. Okay, she saw a lot of unhealthy rest, like, ooh, that's not good. I'm not going there. Good. Anyone else? Yes. Read. Okay, you have to be intentional. That was modeled to you? Oh, that's great. That, that was good modeling, that you have to be intentional about it, because it ain't going to happen by accident, right? Especially in our society. If you're resting, you're not making money. Boy, that's... That sounds like America right there. That's good. Jeez. That's right. Good stuff. You know, I want to be clear, too, before we move on, as we're kind of diving into this, that when we're thinking of resting, if we're, you know, using that definition, abiding in the presence of God, that that is something that can happen at all times and in all places, okay? It's not just something that can only happen in your quiet time or your solitude time. It's just like any other friendship or any other relationship we have. Of course, we can get to know people just in the midst of the chaos or the demands of life. Talking on the phone while we're driving, right? Talking to someone while you're sitting in some bleachers, watching a football game, or watching you know, your kids play basketball, whatever it might be. But when we're able to get away and have some one-on-one -on -one time, isn't that typically when we really connect? You're able to really share your heart. There's no distractions. You feel safe to be vulnerable. Okay? It's the same way with God. When we can prioritize that alone time with him, we can free ourselves from those distractions, which we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. So before we dive into this, I want to just give you a brief rundown, kind of how we're going to approach this series. So today we're going to take a little bit of time and look at um, the example that God modeled of rest in the Old Testament. Next week we'll look at what rest looked like in Jesus' life and the life of his disciples then the week after that, we'll transition into what rest looked like throughout church history. And that's going to be fascinating, how our spiritual ancestors throughout the centuries prioritize rest. And then we're going to end by examining what it looks like for us to be people of rest right here in the 21st century. Sound good? Okay, let's dive in. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2. I think it's uh, page 2. <laughs> that's easy. In your pew Bible. <clears throat> to discuss rest, we have to begin at the beginning. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed 
in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God himself rested, okay? That is pretty fascinating. The all-powerful, all-knowing, present-everywhere God of the universe rested. Did he need to rest? No? Absolutely not. Isaiah 40 tells us God does not faint and God does not grow weary. The Hebrew word here in verse 2 for rested means to observe the Sabbath. It means to come to an end, to stop, to seize. So it's best interpreted in this context that when he rested, it means he seized his work of creation. He was finished. He certainly did not need a nap. And from God's example here of coming to a stop or seizing, this is where we get the practice of Sabbath, which we're going to get into here in a few minutes. Kind of like we've said, you know, many of us, we tell ourselves where we tell others that we can't stop working, we can't stop going, there's too much to do, there's too much to accomplish, and many of us act as though we don't need to rest, and we do the opposite of what God himself did, rest. To live that way is the definition of arrogance, to think that we don't need to rest, and I would even say ignorance, Okay? Do you actually think that you have a greater capacity and strength than God himself? Many of us live as though we do. Check out this amazing quote. It's actually a two-pager, if you will. We're going to have a discussion over this. This is from um, Mike Breen. He said, we were created on the sixth day of creation in order to work. But even more important is what happened on the seventh day. God created man and women on the sixth day, setting them in a garden full of wild, wonderful creatures and delicious foods. He gave them instruction on caring for the animals and plants in the garden. He told them to be fruitful. But on the first full day of existence for Adam and Eve, God rested. All of creation took a well-deserved break in activity. This was our first full day, a day of rest. Then the work began. From this, we see an important principle in life. We are to work from our rest, not rest from our work. Rest is God's healthy starting point for us. We are human beings, not human doings. This is the order God has established for us. Rest, then work. So keep that up, Alex. What's your response to that? How does your life align with the order of rest and work? that God has established. What do you think? The floor is open. Whoa, way in the back. Okay, yep. Everybody's working for the weekend. Yep, thank you. Anybody? This is a little harder question than the first one. I, I knew this would take a little minute to get people sharing. I, I would say probably no days off thing. The no days off thing? Yeah, yeah that is, that's a struggle for us, no doubt. Who works 
from their rest. Does anyone do that well? You do? Okay. Wow. Do you want to come on up here and finish this sermon? <laughs> You're not always healthy in that. Okay, good. Yeah. Anyone else? Yes, Kenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how I've lived most of my life. That's for sure. I rest when I'm exhausted, typically. Yeah, read. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, this and it can kind of be yeah connected to our salvation and that he does all the work. We rest in what who he is and what he has provided. Brent. So we're talking. It's kind of kind of talking about a false rest or fake rest, right? There's a lot of that going on, which we're actually going to talk about that here in a little bit. Kind of more of he escapes. Yeah, other than rest, good. Bob. Yeah, that's good. He's saying resting helps us to be our best, right, for the conversations we might have for the work. Wow, we are rolling for the work God might have for us. Yes. Well, I had a friend one time that said something interesting. He said, there's no real work without rest, and there's no real rest without work. It's just kind of how they fit together. Mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I found it to be true. There's no real work without rest and no real rest without work. Okay, interesting. Good. All right, we're going to move on. That is the most I think you guys have ever answered any questions I've proposed. Good job. Fantastic. A plus. So kind of like uh, Kenny was alluding to a little bit, like from the beginning of creation, it was embedded in our DNA to be creatures of rest. I mean, we're seeing it clearly, in, you know, in some of the passages we've looked at. When we choose to work from our rest, we're living as we were created to live. When we only rest when our bodies can no longer keep up, we're falling short of God's design for us. And when we continue to operate that way, that's when we start to experience debilitating anxiety, depression, exhaustion, sleep disorders, and so on. There's a strong case to be made for why so many Christians start their days early in the morning abiding in God's presence. Okay, That can look different ways. 
It might just be sitting in silence and just saying, God, I've removed all distractions. I'm all yours, whatever you want to speak. Maybe it's journaling your prayers, spending time in scripture, whatever it might be. When we begin each day intentionally resting, whatever that looks like for us, abiding in his presence, we are setting ourselves up to properly live in the established order he created to work from our rest. Author Alan Fadling proposed this question. I think we have the slide. Yeah, this was just interesting, I thought. When do you have times that aren't measured by what you produce, but instead by Sabbath values of relaxation, worship, love, and even play? You know, I've spent most of my life measuring what I produce and the value of my work. The years that I have devoted to studying music, specifically drumming, is insane, okay? The amount of time I, had, I have devoted to those things. I worked tirelessly to be the best so that I was important, right? That I was accomplished, that I would get called back for gigs. Now, as a full-time pastor, I'd be lying if I said I don't measure some of my success, at least in some capacity, by the response, the feedback I get from people in our church, from maybe my messages, the internships I lead, the counseling I provide, other groups I lead. So this idea of measuring how well I engage Sabbath rest is pretty foreign to me, okay? This, this does not come easy because I like to have fun and relax, but there's always kind of something lingering, right? Man, I could start on that home project. It's on my to-do list. That honey-do list is growing. I could get a start on that work project that's, that's, you know, that's going on in a month or two that I'm in charge of. There's always work to do, and so it's a difficult and strategic decision for me every day to choose rest, even though that means I might be behind a little bit in work. I want to take a little time now and just give a, a brief overview of some of the guidelines and the rhythms of rest that God established and commanded for, his, for the Jews, his people in the Old Testament. This is by no means exhaustive, but it'll, it'll give you um, a glimpse into God's heart for his people to rest. So perhaps the most recognizable guideline of rest in the Old Testament is what we call the Sabbath. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. I believe it's page 105 in your pew Bibles. This is the famous story of God giving the Ten Commandments that many of you are familiar with. Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is something that we can easily forget, um, which is that keeping the Sabbath is actually one of God's ten commandments. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Mike Green, man, he was coming in hot with this quote. Check this out. 
He said, rest from our activities is listed in God's top ten. The commandment to keep the Sabbath is right up there with don't kill, don't steal, and don't commit adultery. In other words, being a workaholic is to God just as bad as being a murderer or an adulterer. Rest is not an option if we are to walk in the lifestyle of a disciple. And that's fascinating. Check this out. You don't have to turn there. If you want to write it down, you can. Nehemiah 10.31. In that verse, we learn about what's called the New Moon Festival. Okay? And it was a festival for God's people in which there were one to three days annually of no labor. Like God said, do not work during this festival. Okay? Add to that the Jewish Passover. Add to that Pentecost and the tabernacle uh, the tabernacle festivals that are mapped out in Leviticus and Exodus, and no labor was allowed for several days during those festivals, okay? So we have the Sabbath day, we have numerous festivals where there's several days each of no labor, but God does not even stop there. The song that we introduce is totally biblical. Check this out. In Leviticus 25, we learn about the Sabbath year for the land and for the crops. God made the Israelites devote their seventh year as a Sabbath for their land to rest. He commanded them not to sow or reap from their fields, not to prune or harvest any grapes. The land was to sit and to rest for a full year. And then finally, we learn about the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. The year of Jubilee took place every 50 years, and it was literally an entire year where no one was allowed to work. So if you lived kind of an average, some of you were like, an average life, you would experience it at least once, maybe twice in your life. No labor, no work sown or reaped from the land. God wanted his people to rest so much that he devoted an entire calendar year for them to rest. In light of God's design for his people in the Old Testament, Alan Fadling wrote, and proposed this question, if God provided that much space for his people to be together in his presence and rest, how might we wish to open up at least a little more space in our own lives? What would it look like for us, for you to open up a little more space in your life to rest, to be with him, to enjoy him? One of the major roadblocks to resting, guys, is that we have idols in our lives, plain and simple. We have idols in our lives that keep us from true rest. Here are a few examples. Your idol might be the love of money, and so you work tirelessly to make all you can to get everything that you want. Even if you're not a workaholic, it's what you think about when you don't have anything else to think about. How can you make more so you can get more stuff, right? It consumes you. It prevents you from being able to rest. Maybe your idol is seeking the approval of others. And so you really have a hard time resting because you're always thinking about how you got to prove yourself. You're out there hustling to show that you are important. You need to get ahead. Maybe your idol is comfort. This is one for me, no doubt about it. I want my life to be as easy and stress-free as possible. Some of you are going, mm-hmm. 
Any, any idle people there with a comfort? Okay, yep, yep, yep. That's mine. I'll do anything to ensure life is as free from inconveniences as possible. What is an idol that's keeping you from experiencing true rest? What might be an idol keeping you from experiencing rest? Pastor Bob brought um, this verse to my attention in Acts 3.19. It says, repent then, turn to God so your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent so that times of refreshing may come. How many of us equate repentance with refreshing, with rest? Like we said a little bit ago, most of us would struggle with a full day of rest what to do if we eliminated a television and our cell phones. Quite a few of us would struggle what to do with a full day if we couldn't access those. Mm. Rest can look like sharing a meal with others, being in community with spiritual friends, enjoying nature, reading a book, making times for hobbies. Rest is whatever opens up a portal to see, feel, and experience God. And it's something that we have to be intentional about. It will not happen by accident. Engaging in these things allows us to experience God's presence and learn how good he is, which increases our trust for him. My friend Matt Robertson, um, he's been a, a kind of a partner in putting some of this series together. He approached me, I don't know if you remember this, we were in the office a couple weeks ago, and he came up to me and said, you know, God gave us two Sabbath days each week. I was like, yeah. Um, you know, most people work Monday through Friday. If you have a typical job, you get two days off. He goes, we have two Sabbaths each week, and we're some of the most unrestful people probably on the face of the earth. And I was like, yeah, I can't argue. There was no lie in, in what he said, and that is why we're doing this series, okay? Because it's so needed. Um, not only do we want to teach you guys about rest from you know, a biblical perspective, but we also want to give you very tangible, practical ways to engage more in a lifestyle of rest that allows you to better abide in God's presence. So I'm actually going to invite Matt Robertson up right now, and he's going to um, explain kind of the handouts. If you haven't got one, there's some handouts um, on the sides of the pews. There's several in the back, too, if you, um, if you don't have one. So I'm going to stop talking. He's going to explain what we're going to be doing as a church with this. So. Yo, yo, there you go. Awesome. Um, thank you, Justin. Um, like I said, I'm really excited for this uh, sermon series and what it holds for us. Um, but if you're anything like me with a concept like rest and some of the things that we learned today, you can kind of take that and be like, ah, you know, how do I put that um, into action? Um, I'm kind of an, I'll anal uh, analyze that and I kind of have this paralysis by analysis uh, thing that goes on in me. So I would need some help if I was going to take a concept like rest and make it practical and um, work that into the rhythms of my life. So Justin approached me and just asked me to help him um, come up with some creative uh, and practical ways for us to engage uh, and lean into God's rest as we take home uh, these messages each week. Now, instead of offering like something new and different uh, every week, you know, do this this week, do this next week, um, which doesn't really sound all that restful, uh, we thought simplicity uh, was best. 
Um, so we thought, let's focus on the one thing we want everyone uh, to take away from this series. And that main takeaway is creating rhythms of God-honoring rest in our day-to-day lives. Uh, with that, uh, we thought it would be best for each week to dedicate, um, to dedicate each week uh, to one manageable step. So by the end of this sermon, we slowly build uh, the pieces, um, uh, slowly build these pieces of this new habit uh, in our life. So looking at the, looking at the handout with the front side, um, where is that familiar um, reminder uh, and encouragement of what we're unpacking uh, in this sermon series? On the back side um, are the practical week-to-week steps or challenges uh, that we um, encourage folks to implement um, as we focus on rest. Now, these steps uh, can be just for you personally, uh, or and they can be something that your whole family uh, could participate in together. This week's focus is simple, time. In the midst of our chaotic schedules, uh, when is the best time for me to set apart and consistently dedicate to resting in the Lord? Now this is, you know, that time of rest, this is what that is, that is intentionally suspending all normal activity, you know, my to-do list is pause. That text message doesn't get responded to. That thing over there doesn't get picked up. My wife's looking at me like, wow, Matt, you do that really well all the time. <laughs> it's like, come on, babe, this is church. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now, the idea is those things will be waiting for me. Those things will be there 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour from now. But this time... I'm not focused on what I ought to do or what I can do. I'm focusing on what God can do in this time. And our encouragement is for you to pick an optimal time for you, a time when you feel most alive. If that's mornings, go with that. If you're allergic to mornings, look hard at those midday or evening time slots and protect it this week. Now, there is a lot. There is more to come, as you can see from the back of the car. Um, um, uh, we will build uh, the desired discipline of rest, but we're not going to jump the gun. Uh, so what that time looks like this week uh, for you, there's a lot of freedom and creativity, all right, to make it what you will. Um, it might feel extremely uncomfortable and awkward, and to that I say, good. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the most important thing is consistently showing up uh, to that time that you've set apart for rest. Lastly, uh, it is our strong conviction that a large part of our rest comes with a dependency on God's word. Uh, so to help you anchor your time in scripture, uh, we provided you with seven, so seven uh, uh, areas of scripture for seven days. Um, uh, possible places of scripture you can focus your time of rest around. Uh, you can snap a picture of that. We'll also make sure that it is on Facebook for you to uh, be able to uh, access it as well. So, um, Guys, thank you all for uh, listening. I, I pray that uh, this practical step this week of just dedicating time, finding that time is a blessing for you. Um, and I'm just really excited for what this sermon series uh, holds for us. So thank you all for uh, listening, and I'll, we'll talk more next week. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it.
we cannot, I can't encourage you guys enough to dive into this with us. Okay. Hey, did you say, like, did you give a time frame for how long this drives for? Did you say that? I said 20 minutes. Okay. 20 minutes. It takes me 20 minutes to stop racing. Okay. As he was talking, it was interesting. I'm reading this book called Desiring God that my friend Justin May let me borrow, and I think it was the missionary Hudson Taylor. I'm talking about he would get up. They said if you were a visitor in his home overseas, that if, if you were sleeping in the night, that you might wake up to him whispering because he would get up and every night at 2 a.m. and he would pray and be with God from 2 to 4 a.m. because it was the only time in his life where he could have no distractions. I'm like, yeah, well, good for him, right? But, man, that's awesome, right? Two hours throughout the middle of the night is the only time where he could be undistracted to focus on God. So we're not asking you to be that daring, but, man, try to prioritize this, right? The world needs to see believers who say no to the hustle and bustle and to the chaos, right? They need to see us have enough trust that God will provide. We don't have to work these crazy hours and just drive around like crazy men and women all the time and just be insane, okay? We don't have to live that way. So guys, as we um, come to the communion table here in a minute, not only do we have a chance, obviously, to remember Christ's sacrifice for us, but we also have the opportunity to rejoice and have gratitude for serving a God that values rest. He loves us so much that he values our rest. He has our best interests in mind. That is a God worth surrendering our lives to, okay? So be thinking about that as you have some time and silence to pray. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll have a little bit of silence. The ushers will uh, dismiss you by row. Come forward, take a piece of bread. You can dip it in the juice, and we have a gluten-free option if you need that as well. Let's pray.